Chapter 38 Dear Friend, the Introvert How do two introverts become friends? They don't. Not typically at first sight. If you think introverts are complicated human beings, you are correct. Introverts approach life with the idea of living intentionally without question, and they know what they want in life wholeheartedly. They tend to handpick their emotional connections delicately and truly understand the value of time. Yet, it brings me back to that initial question. How do introverts connect with others in a world dominated by extroversion while maintaining the need to create happiness? There's a common misconception that casts introverts categorically as boring friends. However, boredom is subjective, and what's boring for others can create an exciting adventure for the natural introvert. Quiet nights at home, engage in creative hobbies? Check. Lazy rest days in peace? Perfect. Even the most routine-like activities can be a bountiful cornucopia of fun. The beauty of introversion shows us that even in moments of solitude and detaching from the world's noise, we can create happiness. In a world that celebrates extroversion, introverts do have to put in the work to discover honest and worthwhile connections. An introvert's desire to be highly selective of their relationships must balance out with learning how to be open to new friendships. It's a challenging situation, but it is essential for growth and reducing social anxiety. Thankfully, learning to be comfortable in any social setting is a learned skill, and it doesn't require a huge lifestyle change. Introverts can learn to be better communicators by starting with minor moves such as saying hi to a passerby, walking with your head up, or even just going out with friends for coffee. Introverts do not have to live with social anxiety forever, but like any goal towards greatness, it requires time, action, and patience. We can all learn great lessons from introverts regardless of our dominant personality type. It's okay to be picky with our company and enjoy spending creative time alone. Enjoy the subtle treats of introversion and learn to embrace incremental changes toward love. How's it everyone? My name is Michael Kabuko and welcome to another episode of the Love Notes for Life podcast where we focus on amplifying greatness through gratitude. So I was over at a friend's house to watch some football and the topic of making friends came up. One of the guys was baffled that anyone would find it so difficult to make friends in a big city. He had a direct solution. Go out, spend your free time at bars, and make drinking buddies. Okay, I guess that makes sense, and it's not an incorrect suggestion, but then I recalled a story a previous coworker told me right before I left California for Washington. He told me that Seattle had one of the highest rates for depression and people facing social anxiety. I mean, the gloomy winter weather doesn't help, but I believe the root cause goes deeper than a lack of sunshine. Typically, people who find it difficult making friends are the same people who naturally do not find pleasure in hitting the bars or enjoy spending hundreds of dollars on bottle service at a nightclub. The Dilemma of an Antisocial Introvert We all could easily cast judgment and blame introverts for their predicament. I mean, it seems obvious what the solution should be. Go out, get out of your comfort zone, and find people with similar interests. It makes sense, right? But, 
Is it the optimal solution for someone who already struggles with social anxiety? If someone is already struggling with just living and coping with everyday interactions, should we encourage them to jump into the deep end to make friends? Yes and no, and welcome to the world of contradictions. Social anxiety is a mental health condition that causes stress and excessive fear from everyday social interactions. For those that struggle with social anxiety, the world may seem like a battlefield, and encountering a person, even just meeting their eyes, could feel like stepping on a landmine. Social anxiety roots itself from negative experiences usually derived from childhood that carries its weight into adulthood. Unfortunately, social anxiety is also one of those topics that for the longest time was so taboo to talk about, and it was used as a metric to determine how strong an individual was. In the past, social anxiety was treated like a temporary feeling, and you would hear the older generation recommend the youth to suck it up, get over it, and toughen up. However, when we step back and see how social anxiety has contributed to depression, our perception of self-worth, and an individual's ability to exercise their will to live, it no longer becomes a joking matter. In fact, in times like these, Mentally tough people shouldn't be chastising those that struggle with social anxiety, but rather encourage them to find the light out of the darkness. So I can sympathize with people that have the purest intentions of wanting to make friends, but at the same time find it increasingly difficult to engage with society. There's a saying that is often repeated in times like these. Put yourself in their shoes and see the world through their eyes. So, give me one second. Aha! I know the perfect pair of shoes to put on. Hang tight. Somewhere here. Let's see. Oh, there they are. Collecting dust in my closet. My old pair of sneakers from my childhood. And a reminder of a kid who had his fair share and more of social anxiety and the fear of growing up. Even way before I ballooned up to 240 pounds a few years ago, I struggled with maintaining a healthy weight as a child. To put it bluntly, I was the fat kid, and it sucked. Back in elementary school, I remember how my weight really affected the opportunities I had to interact and play with other kids, especially in PE, or physical education class. I dreaded PE, not because I didn't like playing, but it was because being a big boy came with the stigma of always being picked last on the team. Whatever sport we were playing, football, soccer, baseball, you name it, I was always the last person to be selected. In hindsight, it makes sense, and even Darwin would have probably said, yep, totally makes sense. Even I would have picked you last. PE is like a lesson in the survival of the fittest. The strongest becomes the captains, then they pick the next strongest in line to be their teammates, and the weakest links are always left to be picked last. I was weak, and as a kid, I couldn't connect the dots that if I didn't want to be picked last, then I needed to pull my weight. I couldn't comprehend the fact that all I needed to do was step up, get fit, and become stronger. And, at the time, I didn't have the tools, knowledge, or awareness that I could fix my life. So, I eventually developed the negative connotations surrounding sports and fitness for most of my youth. It's so strange to even think that because nowadays, I'm all about sports, health, and fitness. However, as a kid, 
Those negative core memories push me away from the sport I love. I would have loved to have grown up in sports, but my social anxiety paired with the constant bullying gave me the easy option out of using my social anxiety to avoid it like the plague. So instead of focusing my attention on something that gave me social anxiety, I resorted to music and art. In the first place, it was an easy switch because my parents were creatives. My dad played saxophone all throughout high school and my mom was a vocalist that continued her musical education into university. So following suit, I became heavily involved with the music program. From concert band to jazz band and outside of school, I even started a garage rock band called Direct Drive. For those of you who know it, shout out. And on the weekends, I would volunteer to play guitar and sing at church. If music wasn't enough, I found myself always drawing and creating. I loved sketching and taking art classes, and it was something, you know, you could do by yourself. I was content within my own creative space, and I was free from all the bullying and negative experiences that caused my social anxiety in the first place. I learned to be happy by myself. While I mastered the art of not needing any company, it didn't address the elephant in the room of social anxiety and making friends. I was so content with myself, but mastering solitude did not help me connect with others. I even remember there were times that I would attend a family get-together, and rather than catching up with my school friends, I would step aside, find a quiet place, and just start sketching. It wasn't normal, but at the same time, it felt normal. And I wouldn't discredit the value of learning to be content with solitude. But the truth is, we do need people. It took me more than 20 years to realize that life is all about connecting with others. On a side note, all this talk of solitude reminds me of one of my all-time favorite movies by my favorite actor, Tom Hanks. In the year 2000, a story about a punctual FedEx executive finds himself on an uneventful flight that would alter the course of his life. So due to a tragic storm, his plane crashes somewhere over the Pacific Ocean, and he finds himself stranded on a deserted island, where he learns that he was the sole survivor of the crash. This, my friends, is the story of Castaway, and a man who learned to live on his own, but who fought to get back to a life he left behind. He was alone, aside from befriending a volleyball called Wilson, and as days went by, he contemplated a plan to eventually leave the island, so he could be reunited with his loved ones. He mastered the island, and he learned how to survive on his own, but he needed his people. So, after many trials and tribulations, he eventually escapes the island using a makeshift raft, and he gets scooped up and rescued, by chance, by a passing cargo vessel. He was ready to head back home, but while he was on that island, life didn't stop, and the home that he came back to was not the same. The ending of the movie is quite bittersweet, but I often wonder if Tom Hanks' character in Castaway knew what he was coming back to, would he have left the island? I mean, sure, it's obvious that living in a first world country outweighs living on a desolate island, but what if he knew? What if he knew the world he was coming back to was not the same, and that his loved ones carried on without him? Would he be equally driven or motivated to reconnect with the world? The simple answer is yes. The story of Castaway mirrors the need for community versus independence. The island that Tom Hanks gets stuck on represents a form of social anxiety, and for him to reconnect with his loved ones, 
He had to learn how to become independent and become a survivor. He needed to defeat his current predicament and become resilient to the dangerous tides of life. His willingness to keep fighting allowed him to eventually find the spark of light that would lead him to his freedom. He became independent out of necessity, but he learned to let his independence go when he finally encountered that cargo vessel that assisted him to safety. My childhood experiences taught me the value of independence, but my desire to connect with others taught me to let go of my independence to conquer my social anxiety. Sure, it's a great feeling to not be overly dependent on others, but life is about exchanging ideas, learning from others, and finding opportunities to share your talents with others. Also, for those that choose excellence, life is about leadership and becoming someone that people can depend on. Life gives us the choice to step up, leave the past behind, and create more opportunities to be picked first rather than last. Mastering solitude should not replace the opportunity to connect with others, even at the risk of embarrassment, judgment, or even rejection. Mastering solitude should balance itself with mastering communication and becoming the master of your own social anxiety. While I struggle with social anxiety during my childhood, my present is proof that it's never too late to learn how to deal with it. In addition, everyone can learn how to deal with social anxiety at their own pace. Nowadays, I prefer the faster pull-off-the-band-aid method when it comes to learning, but that method may not work for everyone. Recall that it took me 20 years to master my own social anxiety, and I don't expect anyone to conquer their anxiety after one single podcast episode. Learn at your own pace, and master everyday social interactions through incremental changes of growth. You don't always have to jump into the deep end, and sometimes, taking the latter step approach is optimal for sustainable growth and mental health. It's kind of like weight training. Overloading your muscles with weight is optimal for growth. But when you're on the verge of injury, don't push through. I had this exact moment happen to me a few days ago. I was doing shoulder presses, and I sensed an awkward tension starting to rise in my delts. I knew I was capable of pushing through and doing a few more reps, but I realized that if I did so, I would have probably got injured. Don't give yourself more stress than what you need. Challenge yourself with new social opportunities, but be reasonable. In addition, it is vital to stay true to your principles and values. Growth is about choice, and that choice defines who you are. I'll say it time and time again that we are a product of our own choices and how we navigate through the wilderness of life. So if you're not a super outgoing person and being the life of the party doesn't give you energy, then don't. Don't become someone that you don't want to become. If hitting the bars or partying every weekend is not your thing, then don't do it. You don't have to be a social butterfly to connect with others or make friends. For example, I was in Portland a few weeks ago. And I went to Powell City of Books, and right before I left, I grabbed some coffee at the in-house coffee shop, and I saw tons of people hanging out. I mean, what a great environment for people who enjoy books and good coffee to be surrounded by all that intellectual energy. And I would bet that 9 out of 10 people that were at that cafe were most likely introverts. 
The best way to start conquering social anxiety is through the language of shared interests. So discover what you love and be open to connecting with like-minded individuals and find environments that revolve around your interests. Now, when I look back at those days at physical education class, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm super grateful that I got picked last to be on the team. No, I'm serious. Because those life-defining moments force me to recognize that a fruitful life is not meant to be acquired so easily. And if I wanted excellence, I needed to learn how to overcome my social anxiety. Sure, it was a long journey, but I desired more in life, and I was tired of getting picked last. I needed to be someone others could depend on, so I chose to step up, and I chose to grow on my own terms. When you learn how to disarm the fear of rejection or embarrassment, you gain the confidence to foster stronger relationships and you discover greater opportunities for personal growth. You become more than just a chess piece in life. You become the playmaker and the captain that gets to choose your teammates for life. Thanks y'all for tuning in to another episode of the Love Notes for Life podcast. I look forward to continuing this conversation of awareness and amplifying greatness through gratitude. My book, Love Notes for Life, is now available on Barnes & Noble with the direct link in the show notes below. Thanks y'all for the support, and always remember, there is beauty in knowing that there is only one of you. Take care.